Uh, Brian's out of town, so they went to the bench, brought in a minor leaguer. That's who I am. Uh, so hopefully it goes okay. Uh, if we haven't met yet, my name is Jordan, and I came to this building freshman year, 2010, when I started at Poly, and I had no idea what God had in store uh, for my life. It just moves me to tears just thinking about it, how freshman year I would fall asleep like somewhere over there, so some of that could be you, um, just because I had very little like passion or desire for God, for his word, but it was just part of my life, part of my upbringing, and God used this ministry called Crew. And he used Calvary to radically transform my life and my experience with him. Um, more on that later. And now my wife and I, Jenny, we get to the privilege of working with crew full-time. So we actually work with students all around the Central Coast. I work primarily at Poly, hoping to connect them to a life-changing faith and then equipping them to be ambassadors wherever they go next. So that's what we do full-time. And I've been gone for two months because we were in Lake Tahoe on a summer mission with about 60 students from around the country teaching them how to share their faith, how to be a light in their workplace, and how to grow in their own relationship with God. So I honestly don't even know what's been happening around here. I think we were going through the, the book of John, and we're taking a pause on that so that I can share um, something that's just been so impactful for me and my relationship with God. But I wonder where you guys are at and, and how you come into today. Uh, for many of you, you may be sitting here kind of just another Sunday and hoping to get something out of it, and your walk with God's going pretty good, life is pretty good. Some of us, we're faking it completely, and uh, we're struggling in our, in our faith, we're struggling in our lives, and we come on Sunday and put on a happy face and try to keep it all together. Um, and for me, my faith was uh, just kind of a, a big struggle for a while. And I remember in eighth grade, uh, I got this opportunity to go to... First concert that I remember, I don't, maybe I went to one earlier, but do you guys remember your first concert? Maybe it was a pivotal experience, maybe you hardly remember it. For me, it was Switchfoot, and Switchfoot is still playing. They're about to, like, do their <laughs> anniversary tour or something, and as a junior hire, that was a huge deal. I just felt really cool going to a concert, and they even had alcohol there, and I was just around the alcohol and thought I was cool by being next to it, um, and... I wasn't that into music, but my best friend who took me was super into it. And so we're halfway, I don't know, 30 minutes through the band playing. And I was like, you know, this is okay. It's not bad. Not what I expected. And he leans over and he's like, just wait till Switchfoot gets on. And I realized I had been thinking that the opener was Switchfoot. And I was sorely disappointed. The opener was great. Just they weren't Switchfoot, right? It was like one guy up there on a guitar. I was like, this is Switchfoot. This is it. Um, and so much of my life had felt like that more my relationship with God felt more opener than headliner, where I had all these expectations for my faith, and they kind of under-delivered. And it was a great struggle to feel like I actually knew God, felt close to God, and had a life-transforming faith. In a lot of ways, my faith felt more opener status. There were things that were meant to bring intimacy, but instead they just felt dry and mundane. Like reading the Bible just felt like a chore and a difficult thing to do. Ways that I wanted to grow and see change, I just felt complacent and like, Basically, same old me every year, same old struggles. Um, reading the commands of Jesus to love my enemies, turn the other cheek, give sacrifici sacrificially, and I just felt overwhelmed by the daunting task before me. I saw a discrepancy between what I'd read in the Bible and what my life actually looked like and said, this just doesn't line up. Without even knowing it, I was vacillating between these two terms called pretending and performing. So I had prone to performance, I wanted to work my way to earn God's favor, earn people's approval. And so I would strive to live the Christian life, the good Christian life on my own strength. And sometimes it worked for a season, but 
as we all know, that cannot last forever. And when eventually I couldn't measure up, I'd fall into pretending, pretending I could keep pace, pretending I didn't have just duffel bags of sin that I'm just dragging around with me. And I remember sitting on my bed thinking, is this what faith is? Is this all there is to it? Because it's, it's not satisfying me, and I just am left feeling more broken than when I started. Uh, maybe I'm not cut out for this whole faith thing. Now, it's been said that the Christian life isn't just hard, it's actually impossible. The Christian life isn't just hard, it's impossible. And some of us are tempted to think that it is possible. We think, we, we read Jesus' commands, and we think, okay, if I try hard enough, if I memorize enough scripture, if I go to church enough times, I, I could do it. I could meet those requirements. Maybe not for salvation, but I could be the good Christian. And a lot of us will know that we can't save ourselves, but we think that we need to live the Christian life on our own strength. But where does that leave us? It leaves us two places. Either you semi-accomplish it, and that leaves you prideful because you look down on all the other people, although I'm not like those people over there struggling with that. Or it leaves you exhausted, or maybe a little bit of both. And maybe you've been pretending like I was, but you're drowning, you can't keep up, and you're just ready to give up. You pretend and you pretend, uh, but you just feel stuck in your baggage and your sin. I get it. For many, defeat and discouragement characterize the Christian life. It's just what we're used to. But that's not what God wants for us. While the Christian life is impossible, God has given us a way to live the Christian life, not on our own strength. He has so much more in mind for us. There's this fascinating section of Scripture, if we could, I don't know if it's up. Are the slides cranking? Second Timothy, beautiful. Okay. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power. It's this fascinating section where Paul lists all these bad attributes, and then he attaches this label at the end, seeming to describe these people as people who want to follow God, want to live out the Christian life. They have a form of godliness, but they're lacking the power of it. Paul is saying that we can look a lot like Christians, act a lot like Christians, talk like Christians, but we'll lack the power of it if we're not doing it by God's strength. So how can we have power in our faith and not just the appearance of it? So when Jesus died and resurrected, he appeared to his followers, and he told them to wait for something. What did he tell them to wait for? The Holy Spirit. And these are top-notch, right? He, he's been putting them through an intense training for three years, his closest followers. You would think they would be chomping at the bit to follow what he said and to take the gospel to all nations. And instead, he tells them to wait, which for Americans is impossible. We don't want to wait for anything, right? He tells them to wait. So they're just sitting there waiting for what's next. And he told them to wait for the Holy Spirit. And let's read this section from Acts 1.8. It says, but you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and then you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Why did Jesus tell his most committed, passionate, knowledgeable followers to wait? Because even with all that knowledge, all that training, all that proximity to Jesus, he still knew that they needed the one thing that would give them power to walk the Christian walk to live the Christian life, and to be effective in reaching others. They couldn't do it on their own strength. They needed to wait for the Holy Spirit so they might have the very power of God. Ephesians 5.18 puts it this way. 
do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. As the Apostle Paul wrote the book of Ephesians, the image that he used was not random or accidental. He didn't just pick one sin and say, you know, just don't do this, be filled with the Spirit. Why did he use this image of being drunk? It's because when a person's drunk with wine or something else, that they'll do things that they would not normally do. They'll act in a way that they would not normally act. Maybe they're more confident. Maybe they're more crazy. They're loud, whatever. They do things they would not normally do. And Paul's saying, just like when you're drunk with wine, you do things that aren't natural to you. I'm saying be filled with the Spirit instead so that you can do something that isn't natural to you. You can live out the Christian life by my strength. Paul is instructing us to allow the Spirit to empower us to do things that we couldn't do on our own. See, if we don't trust in the Spirit to bring this power, then we might look a little more generous or a little more kind than the average person or the person, our neighbor. We'll find someone else that we can compare to and say, well, I'm not like that person. But it's so different. It's a shadow of the life-altering, world-changing, altogether different way of being human that God has given us through his Spirit. I think for me, the spirit growing up was just, it was a buzzword, like something you just, you, you heard it and so you repeated it, or it was a foreign concept. And so almost like the spirit was just a synonym with Jesus or God, I didn't actually understand the role of the Holy Spirit. And it was just like, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah the spirit, or like by the spirit's strength or by God's strength. But I didn't understand how that actually transformed my daily life and how it impacted the way that I lived day in and day out. And both of those lead a buzzword or a foreign concept lead to a similar result in that we don't understand who the Holy Spirit is and how the Holy Spirit can work in us. So basically what we're trying to do is move from information or a peripheral knowledge of the Spirit to then ultimately towards life transformation. How do we become transformed by this God who says that he's going to give us power to live a life that we couldn't live on our own? If you hang around me for any amount of time, you'll find out that I'm a huge fan of Costco. And I could tell you a lot about Costco, and I could tell you about how cool it feels to flash that card like a secret club when they, you know, do you have your card? Yes, I do. Thank you. I'm here. I made it. And you feel so exclusive walking into Costco. Or I could tell you about how you could go with not a dollar in your pocket and probably get enough for lunch just from the free samples, right? I could tell you about how a hot dog costs $1.50 and it comes with the soda, unlimited refills. You could spend all afternoon there and just keep drinking soda, all of them. You could try different ones. And I could tell you that it's cost $1.50 since my grandpa's era. And I'm a dad now, so I like to say things like, back in my day, you know? Well, you can't say that about the Costco hot dog. It's literally always cost $1.50, and it will always cost $1.50. I could tell you about those things, but until you experience it, it's just information. But then when it becomes something you experience, it reorients your life. That's where you shop. That's where you go. Okay? It's transformed me. So if you don't have a Costco membership, I'd consider this your uh, subtle nudging from God. No, from me. Um, but there is something so different from hearing about something to actually experiencing it. And I think that's how so many of us are with the Holy Spirit. We just hear these words, but we don't actually know how to depend on the Spirit day in and day out. I said I would return to this later. Why, why did I tear up just talking about freshman year me sitting in these seats falling asleep during Brian's message? I can say that because he's out of town. Um, <laughs> it's because after my freshman year, I don't know why, I don't know how, but somehow I find myself on a plane headed to Seattle to do an inner city missions trip. I was in no 
state to do a mission strip, but here I am going. And the Lord used that to really transform me. I, I remember going on the plane. I had this giant study Bible with my name embossed on it that my parents gave me, and it was like, blow the dust off. Like, all right, let's cram for this mission trip, baby. Let's get ready to go. I hadn't read it in months. It felt like just like cramming for my Calc final a few weeks prior. And I remember just closing the Bible kind of in the middle seat. You know, I was late to the plane, so I'm squished between two people. But that's where my holy moment with God happened and just saying, Lord, I don't know what I'm doing. I feel like such a fake. I feel like such a fraud. I know that this cramming and this performing and this doing isn't going to cut it. And I know it's not going to actually satisfy me. I'm done with this vacillating. And just one of the most honest prayers I've prayed. And it was God kind of meeting me in that moment and saying, you need to stop trying. Kind of like stop relying on yourself. And I didn't really know what that meant. I was like, okay, I'm just going to come in honest, blank slate, just see what God has for me in this missions trip. Probably the second night there, we went through this training on the Holy Spirit. And that transformed me. Why did I depend so much of my life on, okay, I have this head knowledge, and now I try. I know I need to trust God for my salvation. Jesus saves me, but now it's kind of up to me to live the Christian life. Like, why did that become ingrained, and why was that the thing that dominated how I lived? I don't know, but it was what was internalized. And I did everything on my own strength, trying to be a more loving person, a more kind person, trying to lust less, trying to not cuss, trying to not to get drunk. All these things were just, like, on me to, like, kind of grip my teeth, strengthen my fists, and just don't do it, or do the thing that was the good thing. And on this trip, hearing about the Holy Spirit, I realized, I was blown away, um, just that what, was, what God wanted to do was transform it from my effort to his power. What he wanted to do is to teach me to rely on his Spirit. I couldn't save myself. Galatians says, so why do you think after beginning with the Spirit, you can now be perfected by your own effort? It was transformative to realize I need to rely on God to produce this fruit in me, to transform me, to be the type of person he's invited me to be. And I was blown away, you guys, as God started to show up. A desire for the Bible I'd literally never had just because I asked him to start producing it in me. God gave me the ability to naturally and almost effortlessly have spiritual conversations. I wasn't forcing myself or doing it so that God would think highly of me. It just it started just coming out naturally. I wanted to talk to people about God. Started to see life change, victory over sin, things that had held a grip in my life for years. Suddenly, God started to root out and make me a different person. I would recall scripture that I had read a few days prior, and that never happened before. It was like, well, I don't even remember what I read. And it would just like start coming out in conversation, or I'd be in a, a struggle or a temptation or a difficulty or a hard conversation should pop into my head. Man, that was evidence of the Spirit just working in me. I started to actually pray with power, not just thinking it was words, kind of tossed up, hoping that it sticks somewhere. But I was praying to God. He was hearing me. He was responding. My prayer is that we'd experience this anew today. So my goal, let's understand who the Holy Spirit is and then how we can live by the Spirit. A couple just fly-by quick things. The Spirit is not a force or an energy. The Holy Spirit is a being. It's a person. It's fully God equal parts of the Trinity, and the Spirit came to do a few things, to be a helper to us, our counselor, and to reveal Christ so we might know him and then begin to trust him and rely on him. What does the Holy Spirit produce in our lives? The Holy Spirit uh, produces a new birth in us. It's impossible to even know God apart from the regenerating ministry of the Spirit. So it was Jesus himself who said in John 3, unless a man is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. 
Paul says in 1 Corinthians, no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Spirit. So the Spirit is the one who, yeah, Christ died, resurrected. It's by that that we're saved. It's the Spirit that brings us into that new birth to realize the power of Christ's resurrection in our lives. The Spirit gives us power to comprehend the incomprehensible. Why was Scripture just like, as if I was studying astrophysicists or studying astrophysics? It's because the Spirit is the one who illuminates Scripture that we can understand it, and then it has power in our life, not just information. 1 Corinthians says, What we have received is not, by the, is not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, so that we may understand what God has freely given us. The Spirit opens our eyes to understand Scripture, understand God's work, gives us understanding into the very nature and the mind of Christ. Uh, He gives us confidence. Ephesians says the Spirit is a seal, confirming our inheritance, guaranteeing that we have eternal life and that God is not going to change his mind about us. God is not going to cancel us. He's not going to write us off. He's not going to say, never mind, you're actually too far gone. The Holy Spirit is a seal, meaning it's marked, it's stamped, it's good forever our inheritance to be a child, a son and daughter of God. Uh, Probably my most uh, favorite part about what the Spirit does is just his empowering presence, and that's what I've hit on so much. Galatians 3, are you so foolish? After beginning with the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Later in Galatians it says, so I say, live by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful. Oh, nice. This is a double typo, okay, of the sinful nature. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. The Spirit is our empowering presence. We are not made perfect, made like Christ, by our own effort, but by the Spirit. We don't combat sin, our flesh, by sheer willpower, trying harder, a better program, more discipline, more reminders on our phone. We combat it by living by the Spirit, and then it says we will not gratify the desires of the flesh. They're in conflict with one another. We had a retreat this past spring for crew, and we did men's and women's. Um, so the men were out outside of Pismo at an amazing ranch, and there was this like circular loop kind of around this uh, grass field. And we had, uh, I don't know, 1986, I think, Camry. So it just looked incredible out there. Um, and we had these teams. I think it was four or five teams, and one guy would be in with the, the car steering it, and the rest were pushing it, and they'd try to do this loop as fast as they can. They'd get points for their team. The first group went, and we thought they were crushing it. Like, they did incredible, right? Um, I don't know what the time was, maybe 40 seconds. We're like, wow, they were really moving. It looked pretty good. The next team went. It was like 16 seconds. We were like, what? Oh, my, that team's incredible. All the other teams went. It was right around 16. Come to find out, the first team had the e-brake on. So they, look, they looked incredible, and it was still moving. I, I was impressed the first time, but when you see the other teams doing it in a third of the time, you're like, that, okay, yeah, something was wrong with that team. The e-brakes on, and I feel like when we don't rely on the Spirit, we can feel like we're moving forward, and we can feel like we're doing pretty good. We even look at other people, oh, I'm, I'm improving, or I'm not struggling with that sin as much anymore. I, I'm doing pretty good at loving, or I've been generous at church, or whatever it is. But you realize you have the e-brake on because you're doing it by your own strength. You're working really hard. I mean, those guys were sweating. They were pushing so hard. And the car still moved. But just compared to the e-brake being off, and I think so much of what God wants for us is to experience the empowering presence of the Spirit where the e-brake of our faith is off. And he's the one giving strength to this 
car race, you know, that we call life. Elsewhere, it says that the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead is at work in you. We have a mighty empowering presence. It's not, it's not an e-brake being off. It is a supernatural empowering presence to do things that we could not do on our own. How else do we live out this Christian life of radical love, radical generosity, turning the other cheek, loving to the point of death? It's impossible. So I work for crew, like I said, and the founder, Bill Bright, says this. This amazing fact that Christ lives in you and expresses his love through you is one of the most important truths in the word of God. The standards of the Christian life are so high and so impossible to achieve according to the word of God that only one person ever has been able to succeed. That person is Jesus Christ. And now, through his indwelling presence, he wants to enable all who place their trust in him to live this supernatural life. It's not just to live a supernatural life. It's to find new life where we are caught up into the eternal life of Christ. He, co- he conquered death. He offers us a way to know him, to know God, and to experience life forever with him. It's not just a moral improvement program or a better way to be human. It's, it's an altogether different way of being human. That's what eternal life is about. So why don't we experience the fullness of the Spirit? This is a picture of a, a sheep farmer in Texas. And I, I don't farm, or I don't, I don't herd sheep. I don't know if sheep farmer is the right word. Please don't correct me on it. Um, but it doesn't look super fun. Um, well, there was this man in West Texas. He was a, a sheep rancher named Mr. Yates. During the Great Depression, Mr. Yates, he'd been ranching sheep for a long time. And it, it was once profitable, but obviously everyone's struggling to the, during the Great Depression. And then just sheep prices, I guess, in general are plummeting. It's not going well. He's not making rent. He's defaulting on his mortgage. Um, he couldn't even pay for the ranch that was allowing him to live and to operate the sheep operation. Uh, he's scraping by on government subsidies, about to lose his property. Each day, the situation is getting more and more desperate. And one day, an oil company comes knocking and says, Hey, Mr. Yates, we think there might be oil in your land. Do you mind if we just do an initial dig and just see if there's anything down there? I've got nothing else to lose. Let's sign the papers. Let's get on with it. Little did he know, uh, at 1,115 feet, they struck oil. Now, the first oil field produced something like 80,000 barrels a day, with many subsequent fields that they found doing double that. 30 years later, they're saying it's not even close to being done. Uh, I don't know if it's still operating today, but this man, sheep rancher, about to lose his property, living in absolute poverty on government subsidy, didn't know the wealth that he had. He owned the land. The oil was always there. It's not like when the oil company come, that's when it popped up. It was there the whole time. He just didn't know it. He was a millionaire living in poverty. And many of us were spiritual millionaires living in spiritual poverty, not knowing the reserves that we have in the Holy Spirit to give us life, free access, free power to transform our lives, and we live like Mr. Yates, paycheck to paycheck. Now, why do we not experience the fullness of the Spirit? Some of us are unaware, like Mr. Yates. We don't know we have access to the Spirit, and we don't ask for it. Maybe you're in another camp where you are aware, but we just resist it, and I think so often that's where I return to. Now that I'm aware of the Holy Spirit, I can't claim that I'm unaware, (laughs) 
So what do I do? I, I guess it's that I'm resisting it. It's that I want to go my own way. It's that I like my sin too much or my life is comfortable. I don't want to pay the cost. I don't want to do what he's asking me to do. So we can either be unaware or we can resist. So how do we go from being unaware and resisting to actually being empowered by the Spirit? There's this word picture called spiritual breathing. All of us this whole time have been breathing. I bet most of you have not thought about it once. Maybe a few of you are like, in, out, in, out, okay, if you heard that. <laughs> but most of us, it's just innate. We just, we do it. It's breathing, right? And the goal is for us to get this word picture of spiritual breathing to be that innate or just in us, that we do it naturally without thinking it's kind of our default mode. So in Ephesians 5.18, we looked at that earlier. It's don't be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. We know that God has commanded us to be filled with the Spirit, okay? This is the, the foundation for why spiritual breathing is a powerful practice. He's commanded it, so we know that he wants us to be filled with the Spirit. And then in 1 John 5, it says that he promises uh, he will always answer when we pray according to his will. So is it his will that we're filled with the Spirit? Check. He commanded it. So if it is his will and we ask for that, Lord, you've commanded me to be filled with your Spirit, I want to be filled with your Spirit. Is he going to answer that? First John says we can take that to the bank. Cash money. It is a 100% good promise. If we pray according to his will, he will answer. So what is spiritual breathing? It's exhaling, confessing sin the moment we become aware of it. Uh, Lord, I recognize that I was just critical or judgmental in my mind towards that person. Lord, I recognize that I just, man, I'm just thinking with lustful thoughts or I'm, I'm having envy over what someone else has compared to me. Or I'm comparing myself to that person and thinking less of me and more of them. Fill in the blank. We all have these, I mean, moment by moment, these thoughts come in or actions. I I speak harshly to my kids or I'm short with my wife. Or, you know, I I make a prideful comment to try to puff myself up and inadvertently I'm putting someone else down. The moment we become aware of these things, we confess it. Lord, I don't want that to rule my life. I don't want to be a judgmental, critical, prideful, selfish greedy, envious, fill-in-the-blank person. I don't want that. Thanks for your forgiveness. It doesn't change when I sin. It's not, oh, put that another thing. Are we going to give him grace today or not? No, we can thank God for his forgiveness. I'm pretty sure, I know there's a lot of different ages in the room, but none of us were alive when Jesus died on the cross and resurrected from the dead. (laughs) can be confident in that. And he did that once and for all for, for the sins of all humanity. That happened before I was born, so I don't have to worry. Well, did he die? No, you know, like, was that going to be good when I sin 2,000 years later? Yes, it's good. He, he gives us his grace. So we thank him for his forgiveness. After we confess and agree with God, we inhale. And by faith, we just say, Lord, if I'm living by my own strength and I'm producing envy, jealousy, bitterness, calling, whatever, I exhale that and I just acknowledge that that was me. If the Spirit's in control of my life, the Spirit cannot sin. The Holy Spirit is God himself. But when I'm in control of my life, I can sin. So I just, by faith, I say, I don't want to be controlled by my own strength. I want to give my, myself back over to you. I want you, Holy Spirit, to be in control of my life. And we yield control of our life back to the Spirit. And we, we can trust that. Let me go to this uh, picture bubble. Um, just like... So what's going on here? These are three examples of lives. The one on the left, it shows a person who hasn't trusted in Christ. How do they become a Christian? By faith, they say, 
I recognize that I need you, Lord. I, I want salvation through you. I acknowledge that you're God. I want to yield my life to you. So by faith, they put their trust in Christ. The person on the right is someone who is a Christian, but is taking control of their life back. So, I, I mean, I do that all the time, right? Anytime I do one of those things, I just one of those sins or those mindset struggles, actions, I'm taking control back and saying, I think this is the better way to live. I think it's better to be envious and to compare it to what someone else has than it is to be content, like God says that I should be content, whatever it is. So I've taken control back in my life. So Jesus, I mean, he's still in my life. I still have salvation, but I'm saying, why don't you just take a seat real quick, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to drive the car for a little bit. We'll see how this goes. That's what I'm doing anytime I take control back. How do we get back to this God and the Holy Spirit being controlled? We just, by faith, say, would you take control back in my life? I don't want to live that way. I don't want the fruit of the flesh to be manifest. I want the fruit of the Spirit to come through. So, Lord, you take control back. So it's, it's all by faith. Just like we became a Christian through faith, we daily depend on the Spirit through faith and just giving control back over to him. I want to do a little, we're going to go to the classroom real quick and kind of wrap up here. Got my help? I want to give an example of, this is a big whiteboard, okay. Thank you, Vanna. Um, So, we're going to do HS for Holy Spirit, okay? And then this is self. This is an example of two lives lived, okay? Um, Maybe we start the morning Devo. We get some time in the Word. We're feeling close to God. Okay, the Holy Spirit. Man, God is so good. I love this, you know? And then you come out from that morning time and... Maybe for me, it's my kids fighting, and I immediately snap at them. I don't, you know. So I, is the Holy Spirit going to snap at my kids? No, right? That's me. So I started in Psalm 103. Things were going great, and then immediately I take control back. Okay, and so I'm depending on myself. Okay, and I could go the rest of the day just not address that. Like, oh man, I shouldn't have done that. Okay, try harder, be nicer to my kids. All right, let's go. Days ahead of us, got to rush out the door. And who knows? Maybe I don't sin the rest of the day. Let's just say that that's a miracle and it happens, okay? But you, you spend the rest of the day dependent on self, and then at the end of the day, maybe, I didn't even realize I snapped at my kids, but I just kind of moved on. At the end of the day, I'm saying prayers before I go to bed and just, oh, man, I was pretty harsh to Caleb. Like, probably shouldn't, shouldn't have done that. That was wrong. Lord, would you, I, would you forgive me? Thank you for your forgiveness. I accept your grace and fill me with your spirit so I can be different, be a better husband, better father, whatever. Do that at the end of the day? Okay, that's not bad. It's like I've restored fellowship with God, but I spent the bulk of my day just relying on self. And what have we seen in Scripture that relying on self produces it? Maybe we can be moderately good people, but it produces enmity, jealousy, quarreling, lust, anger, whatever. And so I've relied on myself, and what is that naturally going to produce if I stay reliant on self? If I do that day after day after day, it just produces fruits of the flesh, fruits of the self. What should my goal be instead? Okay, so I noticed that maybe it's in the car. I'm driving to work, and it's 30 minutes later. I'm like, man, I was pretty harsh to Caleb. Let me just acknowledge that. Lord, would you forgive me? Uh, I want to be led and directed by you, not by myself. So I restore fellowship with God and maybe even give Caleb a call, Jenny, and say, hey, could you put Caleb on? Caleb, I'm sorry. Daddy was pretty harsh to you. Will you forgive me? So maybe it takes making it right with someone else. But at the very least, I've acknowledge it before God and just ask him to fill me again so that he's directing and empowering me. So 
Maybe that's 30 minutes later, and I kind of restore fellowship, go through my day. And maybe it's I'm in a conversation, and I'm kind of feeling like I'm not getting praise for something that I did at work, and so I'm just going to slide it in there like, you know, I was kind of had to do a lot of work for that uh, taco party, right? Or I don't, who knows? You just slide it in there hoping that someone, you know, bites that and like, yeah, you did an amazing job. It's like, thank you. Yeah, someone acknowledged me. I appreciate that. So I'm acting out of pride in that moment, right? It could be quote-unquote worse things or less worse things, I don't, but we go through our day with these struggles of like, I'm going to take control back. I'm going to rely on myself. And the goal should not be, man, I only sinned once today. That was incredible. The goal should actually, even if I sin 45 times in a day or more, it's just every time I, I'm aware of it, how, how much can I make these gaps tiny so that that's spiritual breathing? Like the moment I become aware of it, I'm saying, I don't want to be controlled by myself. I want to be controlled by the Spirit. And over time, we start to see the Spirit produce that fruit in us, where it's love, joy, peace, patience. Kind. It's, you see an apple tree out there just like, do you hear grunting trying to produce an apple? No, it, it's just natural. It's effortless. And that's, it's intentional that they use the fruit analogy because God wants to effortless. It's not going to be easy, but he wants to be the one producing the fruit in us. How do we do that? Not by trying to produce the fruit on our own but by producing the fruit through the Spirit. So again, the goal is to, the moment we become aware of it, the mark of a good Christian should not be, oh, they only sin one time today. Like, that's pretty good. The goal should be, even if they sin 60 times, how quick were they to restore fellowship and make things right with those around him and seek to live a different way? Because otherwise, we're just behavior modification. And we look a lot like the world or some other program that's going to help you be a better person when instead... What he's wanting to produce is life that looks completely different and would give glory to him, not to us, right? Um, well, thanks for uh, coming to class today. You wanna... I'd love to, to close by reading an ep- excerpt from um, Mere Christianity by C.S. Lewis. And if, if you guys feel comfortable, maybe just even close your eyes as I read this over you. I feel like it's a beautiful image and picture of what, what could be different. Um, this is from C.S. Lewis. He says, in a sense, God is the one who does the pretending. The triune God sees before him, in fact, a self-centered, greedy, grumbling, rebellious little human animal who doesn't look much like a little Christ. But he says, let us pretend that this is not a mere creature, but our son or daughter. Let us pretend that through Christ, it is like him in spirit. Let us treat it as if it were, in fact, what it is not. Let us pretend in order to make the present, to make the presence into reality. God looks at you as if you were a little Christ. Christ stands beside you and the spirit within you to turn you into one. This idea of divine make-believe sounds rather strange at first, but is it so strange really? Is that not how the higher always raises the lower? A mother teaches her baby to talk by talking to it as if it understood long before it really does. We treat our dogs as if they are almost human. That is why they become almost human in the end. We have not got to try to climb up into spiritual life by our own efforts. It has already come down to the human race in Christ. If we will only lay ourselves open to the one man in whom it was fully present, and who in spite of being God is also a real man, his spirit will do it in us and for us.
This is what I call the good infection. One of our own race has this new life. If we get close to him, perhaps we shall catch it from him. So you guys, we make it our goal not to distance ourselves from Christ, heal up, wait out the quarantine period, and then return to him when we feel better about ourselves. We make it our goal to immediately and as quickly as possible get back into fellowship with God through spiritual breathing. So as we spend time, more and more time, around this good infection, by the power of God in us and less time around the bad infection of self-reliance, hiding, and performing, we'll actually start to see this good infection transform us into little Christ. Let me pray over us. Father, I praise you that you've invited us into this, not because of our own beauty or glamour or that we had anything that you would owe it to us, but out of your goodness, you have made a way for us to not only know you and know eternal life, but to be transformed into completely different people, people who accept conviction as an opportunity to restore fellowship, people who can live in freedom for where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom, people who don't depend on feelings and emotions as a barometer of their closeness with you, but trust in your promises and people who will grow in Christ-likeness and ministry fruitfulness because it's up to you, not up to us. So I thank you that you are producing this work. We get to participate with you joyfully in freedom and see you work quite literally a miracle in our lives. Amen.